0: Hello and welcome to the St. Andrew's Society of Los Angeles podcast. Each episode will bring you the latest news from the St. Andrew's Society of Los Angeles, as well as fascinating interviews with entertainment personalities, government leaders and community advocates. St. Andrew's Society of Los Angeles, where Scotland meets the City of Angels. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the St. Andrew's Society of Los Angeles' podcast. I'm your host, Joanna Lewis, and today we have an amazing show lined up for you. First, I'd love to introduce you to our co-host and moderator for this week's episode, Mr. Richard Sparks. Richard Sparks is an alumni of Oxford University and has written extensively for television, film, radio, and stage. Please welcome director, author, entrepreneur, Richard Sparks. Hello. And our guest today, which I'm really excited for, Alex Boyd. Alex Boyd is a landscape and documentary photographer whose work primarily focuses on the Scottish landscape. Alex's work has been widely exhibited internationally with solo exhibitions at the Scottish Parliament as well as group exhibitions at the Royal Academy, Royal Ulster Academy, and the Royal Scottish Academy. His work is featured in the National Galleries of Scotland, the Royal Photographic Society, the Yale Center for British Arts, and Yale University. His first book, St. Kilda, The Silent Islands, was recently shortlisted for a Saltier Award. His second book, the Isle of Rust, a collaboration, was named one of the best photography books of the year by the Scotsman Publication. Alex is currently working on a selection of new books on the Faroe Islands, the Outer Hebrides. Please welcome photographer, writer, and printmaker, Alex Boyd. Thank you both Hello. gentlemen for coming on the show today.
1: It's good to be here. Thank you for the introduction. Yeah, it was great to be here. Thank you so much.
2: I really miss England, and I go back there a lot. And I'm looking at your pictures of Scotland. It reminds me of many, many days up there and happy times, and you know, camping and traveling around, and just the the wilderness of the place. Mm-hmm. And I kind of missed it. Can you tell me what it, it is about that wide, wide, empty space of Scotland that is so unique?
1: Um, I think I think the those kind of wide open landscapes are kind of um, they seem like an escape for a lot of people. You know they. They kind of um, they have a wildness to them, which I can understand is very attractive. You know, there's um, the idea of these large glens which go on to the horizon and these kind of untamed mountainscapes and, you know, the, the deep lochs and the rivers and, you know, so much song and poetry, bardic poetry attached to these places that I can see the romance. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we all live in, well, not all of us, but many of us live in cities now. And when we live in cities, we just kind of yearn for these places where maybe we can just sort of, um, yeah, just have some space for not just, you know, physical space, but also mental space just to kind of unwind and kind of centre ourselves. And Scotland, I think, for a lot of people is that kind of place where they can kind of just sort of, you know, calm, breathe a little bit, you know, so yeah, perhaps that's what it is.
2: I mean, when I'm there, I, I always feel... I've come home to some extent. I'm English and I've only yes. probably spent less than a less maybe a hundred days of my life in Scotland. But there's a real sense of belonging when I get there. And then when I go home I belong there as well. But does does is is there one place you feel you belong more than the other, the city or the wilderness?
1: Um, I don't know. I don't I can I've actively tried not to live in cities uh, all my life. Oh. So I've lived on um Isle of Lewis and Harris, you know, I lived there for a couple of years in a small village on the west coast. Um, I've lived on Isle of Skye for a year. Um, I live here in Ayrshire just now, which um, is not the busiest part of the world, and I live right by the sea. Um, I have lived in cities previously, but I try to kind of run away from there. There's more space for reflection, especially with what I do. You know, if I want to go into a city, I can go and go to galleries and so on and get that cultural kick but then if I want to actually do things, I need that space uh, which which you're kind of afforded in living in either remote or kind of quiet villages, you know, so. I'd hesitate
2: to buttonhole you, but one of the labels I would give you is a wilderness photographer.
1: Right, okay. And, and, yeah, yeah and,
2: and I really just like those big, wide open spaces you get. I mean, there's a sense of, I don't know if you know the Canadian painter Lauren Harris or mm-hmm. uh, obviously, you know, Ansel Adams.
1: Yes, uh, of course.
2: There's so. a sense of that majesty that's what you're looking for. There's, do, do you like the size of the places you... you yeah, work? I
1: mean, I think um, I was originally born in Germany, but my father's Scottish, but I've lived here most of my life. And I've kind of spent most of my life trying to figure out what, what places like Scotland are. So, you know, you start with the big landscape. You kind of take the Ansel Adams, as you mentioned, kind of big picture, and they just try to get smaller from there on in. Um, so you know when I've when I went to somewhere like Glencoe, which is probably one of the more famous Scottish um, you know big open landscapes with mountains mm. uh, at the end, um, I tried to kind of drill down on the histories of these places and maybe try and tell some of the stories around them. So they go from being kind of wild unknown places to places with quite intimate histories. And I think you know a wilderness photographer, you know I'm, I'm happy enough with that with that label. I'm also trying to kind of um, to kind of unpick some of that, try and unpick some of the yeah. romantic Scotland to kind of actually tell the kind of the layerings which go on in those places. You know, so they're no longer kind of um, big, open, empty landscapes. They're places where things happened, or people lived, or you know, people had to leave behind. So yeah, it's, it's a complex relationship I've got with the landscape. I'm still trying to work it out.
2: <laughs> you know, that's, that seems like I've picked a really good place to start. I said I hesitate to give you one label because you, know, you look at the photograph. Of, I think it was in St Kilda, of the da- the downed aeroplane mm-hmm. of the Second World War, which had cost the lives of various New Zealand, yeah. Australian and, and British flyers were killed. In the, and, the, and that one shot of the remains of the aeroplane in the middle of uh, St Kilda is, is very, that's a story.
1: That's not real, yeah. is it? <laughs> no, that's the thing. I'm really interested in the idea of um, other narratives. So, you know, um, example scotland has a very very well-known very well-promoted narrative which is um you've got programs like outlander which you know tell the story of kind of um perhaps you know the jacobean and not jacobean sorry the jacobites um and kind of the struggles against you know um perhaps you know the british army at that point and the lowland um forces but you know there are other stories in scotland as well and you mentioned st kilda yeah i spent quite a while out there um it's very well known for one story which is the evacuation of the island but I'm also interested in other stories such as yeah these um, poor airmen who lost their lives or you know the, the continuing story of the island you know I think the problem with a lot of Scottish history or ideas around Scotland is that you know time has just stopped it never did stop and sometimes I think the problem can be that people from outside or you know um, people who view Scotland have this kind of kind of backward view of it well you know we are very much living in the present you know we want to look at lots of different layers of scottish history and contemporary stories and kind of try and you know tell those as well that's the thing you know And we're having big conversations here just now in scotland because you know we have um for example um in our cities um a lot of our streets you know are named after um slave owners for example and now we're starting to go well you know, these grand buildings which are in the middle of Glasgow and Edinburgh and these statues, you know, why were they placed there? You know, why, why are we celebrating these men, for example? And, you know, should we be re- recontextualising those? Should we be talking about those histories? Because until fairly recently, Scotland has kind of had a um, you know, certain view of its own history, which is very much um, in some quarters that we're an oppressed nation. But in many ways, Scotland has gone out and done that to the world, you know, as part of the British Empire now we're trying to have a very real conversation about that. There's a kind of, there's a big argument here that, you know, you know, we, we should destroy these statues. Um, um, but there's also a counter argument that, you know, well, you don't destroy a statue, you recontextualize it. You don't put these people on altars. You know, you don't put them on pedestals. You take them down and you yeah. tell people the story of what there's happened. Hairbrush. You don't airbrush it. I'm doing a doctorate just now um, and a lot of it looks at trauma. And so um, I'm doing it as a photography PhD, but I'm looking at the highland clearances as part of that. And it's about having that discussion, you know, where, you know, people, Scots were, um, many of them were forced off their land, you know, mm-hmm. to the very edges of the land. They were taken from their crofts and forced to live, you know, by the sea. And once they couldn't live there, they were, in many cases, put on ships and then sent over to the Americas or Australia well, I mean, the whole Scottish landscape, as we think of it, you know, um, those big empty spaces, you know, they were places which were cultivated by people or, you know, across the whole of Scotland, we had the great Caledonian, you know, the, the great Caledonian forest. Yeah, I know. We're trying to replant. It's going to take a while. Yeah. Um, but the, as you mentioned, sheep, I mean, sheep replaced people here, you know, um, yeah. in a major way. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in, you know, the smaller Scottish islands like Rasse off of uh, Skye. Uh, which is famous for a place called Hallig, uh, which was written about by the poet Sorley MacLean, who's kind of one of the greatest Gallic poets. And if people are watching this um haven't heard of Sorley MacLean, please go seek his work out. He's one of the, the great uh, Gallic bards. And this poem, Hallig, tells the story of the clearance of this village um, on Rassi and how those people were were replaced, you know. And I've been there many times. Um, it's quite a moving place. You know, the, the stone outlines of the houses are still there and the sheep are still there. And um, yeah, it's uh, quite a moving piece. And there's places like that all over Scotland, you know. Um, I live down here in the um, in the south of Scotland on the coast. And we talk about the highland clearances, but there were lowland clearances as well. Um, so yeah, the whole country, people were just sort of moved around and then in many cases moved overseas. And then they themselves who... Had undergone that, did that. to People in the countries they went to, you know, so that trauma was carried on. I was interested in the, the, your use of tintypes
2: mm-hmm. and yeah. the way that they give the uh, landscape a, a a very historical feel. Is that yeah. something you discovered by accident, or were you aiming for it?
1: No, um, I've always um, I've always had an interest in historic photography. Um, the American photographer Sally Mann, someone I've got a lot of respect for. And um, about 10 years ago, I uh, went to her exhibition, which showed images of Virginia, um, her, um, where, she's, where she's from. And um, <clears throat> I'd also known a lot of early Scottish photographers who used these processes. So I was kind of inspired and went to learn at a workshop how to do this. And, um, you know, I got so far and then eventually I got a fellowship, um, a Sir Winston Churchill Fellowship, which then mm-hmm. took me to America and um, i spent a month and a half going to 10 u.s cities including la uh training under um kind of american masters because america is really you know much further ahead than we are in terms of this kind of thing so yeah i went up to um where was it santa monica and spent some time there uh, with a guy called luther gerlach does a lot of stuff with the getty and then i went out to the east coast up to rochester and spent some time with a, a man who lives uh up in the woods you know has like a horse-drawn uh, cart and lives in the ways of the old west and they helped teach me a lot of these processes so yeah it's um i came back to scotland you know with this kind of new knowledge and i really wanted to kind of figure out how these early photographers in scotland worked how they made those images of the landscape and how that's kind of you know keeps telling a story today where we're you know we we view scotland as big empty landscapes and that's really from the birth of photography where you had these people who are selling images to tourists wow. of Scotland as a place where, which is empty, you know, and it's empty for a reason, as we've discussed, uh, the Highlands. Um, and, you know, today I was doing a thing with the BBC. I was up um, in Argyle shooting a programme, uh, which was on George Washington Wilson, who's one of the first kind of Scottish photographers who, who made those kind of works. You know, he ended up in five years, he sold half a million images, which went you know, all around the world. And he's one of the people who's responsible for this, the view we have of Scotland today. And, you know, I want to kind of unpick that. You know, why, why do we have a certain view of our country? You know, um, so Tintypes and um, these old processes was the way of doing it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so, well, that's, uh, a, that's, a, that's a really nice way to approach a subject. Uh, uh, one of the reasons we have a view of Scotland like that is, of course, there's nowhere else like it. I mean, if you wanted to do street art, you could do street art in, as you said, Santa Monica or London Mm. or Glasgow or anything. But Scotland's got a uniqueness about it. uh, Okay, well, let's go a bit further north. Faroes. Tell us about your trips to the Faroes. Those are fascinating. Yeah,
1: so um, I spent a couple of months in total there. Um, I actually met my wife there, uh, strangely enough, um, who's Australian. So um, yeah, it's a bit of a, an odd one, but, but mine, I am,
2: mine's American, so we both married <laughs> out.
1: <laughs> okay, yes, well, <laughs> well, um, I I went the first time I went out there was to spend a month on a sailing vessel, and the idea was to sail because um, the Faroe Islands they're halfway between Iceland and Scotland. They're Scotland's uh, um, one of our nearest neighbours, but Scots really don't know anything about the Faroe Islands. Other than you know, they like to hunt whales, which is kind of the the main thing people know about the Faroes. Um, so I decided that you know I wanted to learn for myself um, and maybe make some work while I was there. So yeah, I, I went out there and spent a month on a boat, a hundred and ten year old fishing boat called the Johanna. Yeah, so we're there there for there for a month, and um, we we sailed around all these islands and met people because the the crew were Faroese. Um, and you know, the having a Faroese crew with you who are introducing you to people and you're introducing to experiences is a bit different, you know, to then, you know, just stepping off a plane and, you know, just taking mm-hmm. pictures of people. I tried to build relationships in that first trip where I could, you know, get to know people. Have you been? So, back? Yeah, that's what happened. So I went there for a month and then I subsequently went back the next year for longer, um, spending time working directly with, with Faroese families, working with um, uh, artists such as Trondor Patterson who's quite a famous artist who who travelled with the English explorer Tim Severin oh, yeah. um, they, the, the Brendan showed, voice. I met artists I met politicians I met actors I met you know people just with their families and you know spend time with them have dinner with them get to know them a bit photograph them um, photograph the landscapes climb the mountains of course and just kind of try to build up a relationship because I think you know, I get annoyed when people come here and, you know, just take pictures and then produce a book, for example, and they've only, you know, they just stepped off the plane. It's the same thing, you know, if I went to the States and made a book on, I don't know, um, pick a town, any town in America, uh, and pretended to be a, an authority of it, I, I think that would be problematic. So um, I try to kind of cultivate relationships and, you know, I'm still talking to those people now. This takes us
2: back to the idea of wilderness and travel. Rather than tourism, because tourism, you get on a plane, you get off, and to go and sit in a beach resort for a week would drive my wife and me up the wall. I mean, I just couldn't bear it. So we backpacked around Southeast Asia and Papua New Guinea and places like that when we you were younger. And and you travel slowly and you get to meet people and you get to, you don't know where you're going and where, you, you know, well, let's go down there for a few days and see what happens. And that's, that's a different type of thing. And that's what I get from your photography. I, I get a sense when I'm looking at your, Glenn pictures of what's beyond it. I want to go and find out what's beyond that. What's, what's well, that's, next? <laughs>
1: that's very kind. I mean, um, what you described, you know, what what you did previously is something that's very hard to do today because, you know, you, you see somewhere like the Faroe Islands or Iceland or, you know, even LA. It's somewhere that it's very hard to see for the first time because you already know it through Instagram or through media or, you know, I mean um you know, when I was in L.A., you know, I was like, oh, I know that place. Oh, I know that place. I know that place. Because I've seen them all, you know, on, on television, you know, uh, or in on movies. And Scotland's perhaps the same. You know, in Scotland, they don't really show the programme Outlander. People here don't really know Outlander, which might come as a shock to you. But when I've been to Australia and I've been to um, North America and a number of times and people talk to me about Outlander. I don't know what they're talking about <laughs> because I've never seen it. Um, but many people, um, many people abroad have a very fixed idea um, on what Scotland is from programs like that. So because you have to then try and unpick that, you know, yes. you have to go from you get you go, you always start from cliches and you try to wind back from there. That's and, you know, you've got to where
2: I was going with that. That's the same point. Well, Yeah. 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 But I
1: think those cliches are really interesting, you know, and, and trying to kind of. Trying to work out why those are kind of are so resonant. I mean, my wife um, was driven crazy um, by my view of Australia because um, in Britain, for example, you know, where Australia is always shown as you know crocodiles and you know uh, Australia's one hundred deadliest animals. It was interesting going there and kind of you know realizing I don't know a, a damn thing about Australia. <laughs> you know, I got there and. And that's the real traveling rather
2: than your Instagram or your preconception. Much
1: so. I mean, we're, we're so fixated on, you know, um, in terms of appearances and how things are that, you know, you have a very strange view of the world through Instagram, you know, uh, and, you know, kind of getting a real, um, you know, whatever real means uh, from a philosophical sense. Um, having actual engagement with people on the ground and spending time with people, you know, that's that's how you do it. Yeah, I mean, there's no perfect way of viewing a place. You know, it's all subjective. So, yeah, no one's experience is wrong. That's
2: great for a photographer because a photographer's got a unique point of view. I mean, a a, a tourist photographer will always have... One of your um, pieces in Sky, Mm you mentioned this is a very popular spot for photographs. So I'm sure a lot of people go and photograph that. But there are many other um, things that you will find in the... in the, in the well, area that'll give you your view of the
1: place. Well, I'll give you an example of that. The kind of the most famous, one of the most famous places in the sky is a rock formation called the Old Man of Storr. Oh, yeah. And it's this huge pinnacle, which rises, you know, from the edge of a cliff. Um, you can see it from miles around. It looks like something out of a nightmare, like a fang, you know, rising out of the, of the land. And tourists go up there, you know, in their thousands and thousands. You know, you can barely park near there. The roads are so congested. Anyway, it's a great Instagram, you know, uh, location. But you go up there and people walk. Because they've seen the route, they walk up to it, around it, and then they come back down. But no one, no one will go off that path. And when I lived on Sky, I would go up there, go to the store, and then I'd walk three or four minutes in, into the under the cliffs and around and up a pre you know up part of a precipice and I'd sit there and I'd see no one for hours. Literally three, four or five minute walk away. And I just walk, watch people do the same guided walk, mm. but not actually looking, you know. There's um there's a Corey beside there called Corinamphala, which means uh a of the fool. Sorry if my Gallic was wrong there. Um And, you know, I stood in this, the the fool's quarry um, for hours photographing the landscape from this perspective I'd never seen because it's not on Instagram. You know, it's not on, it's not in books. And, you know, since I've gone there and since I've shared images of that, people now write to me and say, where did you take that? And now I start to see those images appearing on social media, you know, so it's, it's. it's, it's an odd one, you know, and I'm not saying I invented that short or that view. That's, you know, that-
0: because you kind of brought up Instagram and is mm-hmm. there is there kind of a push and pull between photographers and quote unquote Instagram photographers? And mm-hmm. what are your kind of your thoughts on these people who are looking at photography through the lens of a cell phone?
1: Yeah, I mean. The minute you put something up to your face, like a camera or a cell phone, you're creating a barrier already. So that's the first of your kind of, um, you know, um, the first point of departure away from whatever is in front of you. You know, so you start to frame that subject. You know, um, and it's the final output. You know, so if you're doing a cell phone and you're doing something for Instagram, what what are you actually doing? And in many cases with Instagram, it's performative. You know, you're having this performance where you want to tell a story. and, you know, recently I was up in Cape Wrath um, about two months ago, which is the most remote northwest part of Scotland. Um, you know, it's, you have to get a ferry into there and then it's a 16 mile cycle along this, you know, quite terrible, you know, terrain to get in there. And, you know, I went up there and I stayed in a bothy, you know, which is a place which is, you know, there's no toilet, you know, there's uh, you just have to get a fire going. You, you keep warm by sharing a few whiskies. You know, so it's a beautiful place, a remote beach, you know, it's the Scotland that people dream of, you know, um, I'd recommend that Cape Wrathworthy to anyone. But anyway, you know, I was there and it's a very, very quiet, peaceful place, you know, and I got home and I just I went on Instagram to find pictures of it. And there's people like doing photo shoots there, you know, in like full tweed suits and, you know, looking off, majest- you know, into the majestic sunset. And it's just, it's not the kind of place where you could do that. You know, they, they've they clearly gone into this muddy um, landscape terrain with a bag full of like, you know, gear and, you know, to do a photo shoot. And it, I feel they're kind of just missing the point of the whole yeah. place, which is, you know, this great wilderness to just, you know, just have peace and quiet and, you know, appreciate this wild Atlantic rolling into the West of Scotland and not, you know, do it, to sell, you know, whatever on earth they're trying to sell. So, <laughs> their lifestyle, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, in Scotland, we have a great tension with it, with Instagram because people come here and treat Scotland like a playground. I personally have big issues with that. Um, but I understand why people do it because it's a beautiful country, you know, and Sky, for example, you know, stunning big vistas. You know, um, you want to take pictures of your car or, you know, your family in front of it. You want to, you know, if you've come from the States, for example, and you come on to holiday in Scotland, you want to do that because you want to tell that story. So I understand why people do it, you know, 100%. Um, it's the same, you know, when I went out to LA or whatever, you know, I'm doing all the stuff that I hate when people do when they come here. So I'm a hypocrite maybe,
2: as well. Maybe we all just have to start somewhere. There's that new book, The Land of My Desire.
1: That's that's a series of work I made up on Lewis, um, which was uh, gravures, so they're, they're actual prints, Um, That will be part of a book um, at some point. Um, (laughs) My my to-do list is colossal. Mm. Um, But every image I make, I I take a photograph and then I etch it into a plate and then I put that through a printing press. It's quite a long process, so that book will probably take years to come out um, because i need to hand print every image for it. But, um, yeah, I was trying to kind of show... um, I was trying to show a side of Scotland, which again, perhaps isn't seen so much, which is, yeah, that was the peat Moorland in the middle of Lewis. Mm. And it's, it's because, you know, these places, people go up mountains in Scotland or people go to the sea, but places like the Pete Moorlands, they're a nightmare to walk over. I mean, can you imagine walking over like a bog? Like I've, a done, it. <laughs> I've yeah. done it. You do, well, if you've done it, then you'll know that, you know, walking five miles a, over a peat Moor is treacherous. You know, um, I walked, when I went to to take those images. You know, I walked with a woman whose family had lived in that part of Scotland for hundreds of years. They had um, sheelings on the moor and sheilings are these, um, for those who don't know sheilings, they're small, um, small stone structures out on the moorland. And during the summer um, for hundreds of years, even longer, you know, they're from, you know, um, from, uh, from, I think, is it Neolithic? I'm trying to remember the, you know, Perhaps thousands of years old. When people used to move around, you know, they used to live on in the moors during the summer, and in the they'd live by the coast in the winter to mm-hmm. fish. But anyway, that aside, her family had had been there for hundreds of years at least, and she knew that land, you know, um, like the back of her hand. So I followed this woman, Anne Campbell, um, across the moors, across these hidden rivers, past these treacherous bogs, you know, where she had learned. To avoid because you go you know you step onto this land you go up to your chest immediately and i navigated with her through all kinds of weather and took those images you know and that's the kind of knowledge you don't get on instagram <laughs> because you you know there's no map there's no map across that landscape other than you know the map of experience you know um and it's forever changing in sl- slightly subtle ways and yeah, those are the places which really interest me, those kind of hidden histories um, where you need someone who's got that really specific local knowledge to kind of survive in an environment like that.
2: Yeah, You definitely caught, I mean, you caught the, um, the sort of the space there. I think there's particularly beautiful pictures. And I'm interested in the title, The Land of My Desire, uh, because there's nobody in it but you. It's just empty. Is your desire... The poet Andrew Marvell said mm-hmm. two paradises twere in one to live in paradise alone. Is your idea of the land of your desire to be completely alone in solitude in the
1: wilderness? Um, I don't know. I don't think you're ever really alone in the landscape. I mean, you're kind of there with, um, I don't believe in the paranormal, but you're kind of there with the the ghosts of those who've been there before. You know, um, So I like to reflect on that um, whenever I'm I'm somewhere. Um, yeah, I I like to share the experience, you know, quite often those images I make with someone with me. But yeah, to be selfish, I do like to go out into the mountains alone, you know, and spend time in those places alone. There can be kind of a heightened sense, you know, if I go into the mountains alone, you know, there's that slightly, you know, it can be treacherous environments. So I actually quite like having that oppressive fear upon me oh. when I'm going into the Scottish Mountains, which, you know, if you've got someone else with you. Kind of you got it, kind of takes that away. But I like having that. Um, I mean, this town where I live just now, um, Irvine, um, it's very famous because uh, Edgar Allan Poe used to live here. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of got a real gothic vibe to it, I suppose. You know, going to Sky, um, for example, or anywhere in the west coast on, and on, in Ireland and seeing when waterfalls run over the edge of cliffs and then the waterfalls come back up on themselves because the winds are so high. Yeah, um it's quite something to observe but yeah i mean it's part of the people here you know um i think i think the weather here does have a huge effect on our, our temperament as scots or as celts you know if we talk about the irish as well and you know that it does it does um kind of work the kind of humor everything you know is very much from that and you know, there's um a good book which came out recently on shetland i think which looks at you know how um how the weather of Scotland um, has, you know, keeps people together indoors. And that's yeah. where you know, the storytelling traditions come from. That, you know, during those long winters we have here, you know, people kind of get together and they have Kaleys and, you know, tell stories and drink. And how that's then affected how we see the world around us is through the strong community thing, because we have to be brought together to survive in those winter months. And, you know, I thought those are the old tales from, you know, the past. Then moving from here um, in the south of Scotland up to the islands, which are, the winters there, are very harsh indeed. I mean, you know, when I was living up in Braggar on the west coast of Lewis, the winds were like 110, 120 miles per hour mm. over my house at night, you know. It's like a train running over your house at night, wow. you know, driving to work over these huge moors, you know, with the winds just, you know, they're, they're harsh environments to live in. And, you know, you need a strong community there. And in places like that, you know, you feel the you can, you do feel those old links where people come together, they all descend on the house and, you know, um, yeah, in some cases an accordion and some whiskey comes out and, you know, um, you can see those long, you know, those long things from Scottish history, you know, uh, and culture coming together. It's lovely. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, Any story that
0: you've heard inspired you to go somewhere and take pictures of an area?
1: I think the St. Kilda story was the one that really drove me there. Um, It's uh, the the story of St. Kilda, um, which if your viewers don't know it, and I'm sure everyone does know St. Kilda, but um, there are these islands which are 100 miles west of the Scottish mainland, and people have lived there since, you know, at least the Viking era. And these islands, um, they're part of a ruined, uh, a collapsed volcano. So, again, they come out of the sea dramatically, these pinnacles, and there's one central island called Herta. And people have lived there for millennia. And in the 1930s, life got too hard for them. You know, they learned about the outside world in a way which showed their comforts. You know, um, things like, med- you know, people had died there and um, medicine could maybe have saved them. And they decided as a community to come together one last time and leave. So one day a ship arrived in uh, 1930 in the bay at Harta and took the entire community away for the last time. And, you know, the ruins of those houses are still there today. And um, I always wanted to go and see this island, which is so famous for this, you know, where the community, you know, as they left the island, they left their Bibles open on the table you know, in, every ho- in every home and they left, you know, like small offering and then they locked their doors for the last time and left. And that's such an iconic story in Scotland of this, the end of this community that, you know, I, I needed to know what happened, you know, after that. So, yeah, I traveled there years ago to kind of take some images of of those houses. And, you know, I also knew this other story that, you know, those people all left. And the islands, you know, they've passed into history as this great, sad story um, where these people survived in this very harsh environment uh, for millennia. And um, the military actually moved in 20 years later and took over the islands and turned it into like this Cold War base, you know, it was kind of you know, uh, in the middle of the Cold War between, you know, Russian submarines coming around and everything, you know. So I needed to know how those two stories came together um, how they kind of, you know, how does this modern military base sit alongside this very sad story? So yeah, that that story took me out there and I spent, you know, I went several times there, I camped there, spent time with my wife there um, and tried to kind of unpick the story of that. Um, but that, That's kind of, that's probably the, the major story, but um yeah, Ireland was the same, you know, you hear, you know, you're brought up being told stories of, of, of um, you know, um, local folklore, you know, um, um, like we share a story of Ek uh, Ooschka, which means the water horse, you know, the story of this water horse which rises from the lochs and takes people, you know, down to their watery doom. And we have this story all over Scotland, you know, and it's a story which kind of goes all over the place. So I always wanted to go and see where these water horses, you know, rose. Um, so I, I documented some of those sites, you know, and yeah, we have lots of legends and myths, which, you know, um, I've always wanted to kind of kind of dig down, you know, what, why did those take place there, you know? Yeah, so.
2: so you had one photograph in the, the Faroe Islands, of a, yeah. of a Faroe Islander dressed up as a, not a scalpy because it was a different word in Norse, but it was a, a spirit of the land type of thing.
1: Like the stories here, we um, people think of fairies um, as, you know, things with little wings, you know, um, because of the whole dis- designification the of the world. Um, but here in the Celtic world, fairies are sheen, you know, they're they're the dead, um, they're the spirits of the dead. And they, in many cases, like to mess with you, you know. Um, and you know hultafolk that's that's what um she's called and you know, we share in the, in the nordic world you know we have these these um archetypal stories of the people who live in the landscape you know well they're not people they're spirits and you know I you know, don't want to, in the, in the well,
2: rocks in in iceland in the rocks you don't you yeah. don't move the rocks because they're home to well
1: that's the thing you know i um, like you mentioned edis you know i was in the west of ireland there and you know i go into a bar and you know, you're from Scotland and, you know, you you hope they don't wind you up in the same way they might wind up people from elsewhere. But, you know, they they say to you, don't go and photograph there because, you know, that is, that's a fairy place. You know, that's somewhere where humans should not disturb. You've got to be respectful of that. Um, Don't go there. And, you know, I thought, you know, people are just trying to wind me up. And more and more I travel, go to bars. This is a common story in my life. Um, and meet people and um, you get the same stories and then here it's the same you know there's um, there are certain places you know where uh, which have those kind of ties you know people get strange feelings you know um, when they're working in the land. And, you know, in Ireland, I felt that especially.
2: Do you use Photoshop mm-hmm. on them or things like that post, post-production? Things? Not really.
1: I mean, um, I try to get as much of it in the camera as possible. And that's because, you know, I want to know that it's a good shot when I make it. So when I was taking portraits of people, I tend to shoot them on film. But sometimes I'll do it on digital to, cause to show them the result. But I want it to be, you know, um, as close to be as close to how I'd print it as possible. And that's not because I'm afraid of Photoshop; it's because I'm lazy and I don't want to do lots of editing. You know, oh. I don't want to spend hours of my life in front of a computer.
2: Well, the question I'd like to ask Alex is: Where are you going next?
1: What What's on the horizon for you? Hmm. Um, well, I've spent so much time in Scotland, you know, making work responding to the landscape here that, you know, I'd actually like to maybe see the places where Scots went, um, you know, abroad. So, you know, yeah, America really, really interests me in terms of, you know, where Scots went and settled and how they viewed those landscapes, you know. Um, So, yeah, I'd love to do work there. Um, Australia especially interests me. I mean, imagine leaving cold, wet Scotland and going to this this place, you know, which is complete opposite. You know, everything's turned up till eleven, you know, the the mm. light, the bird sound, everything's so different. Um so yeah, I'd like to kind of um go go to these places and kind of try to find my way. Um and yeah, once we can fly again, which you know would be great, I'd like to go and spend some time in the southwest of Australia, for example, and work with the Noongar people who have been the kind of the cust- the custodians of the land in Australia for millennia and work with the community there and just, you know, shut up, watch and listen and and kind of see how they've looked after the land and how they live today. And then maybe work with them and trying to sort of find my own way in there. Uh, but my all my experiences in Scotland have kind of tried to show me that um I need to kind of maybe when I go somewhere else to step back and see how that then affects what I do. So yeah maybe starting to move abroad a little bit, like all Scots do, you know, you you start off in Scotland and then you end up, you know, reaching out across the world. (laughs) So that's the next plan really, I guess.
0: Well, fantastic. Thank you both so much for being on the show today. Richard, thank you so much for being our guest host.
2: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: And Alex, thanks again. It was so insightful. I've had a fantastic time with you. And if there is a website, and I know we've got a book that we want to mention also during this podcast, so we can do that right now.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, I, um, I brought a book um, last year with Jonathan meets, who's um, a, an English uh, writer, critic, architectural mastermind uh, called the Isle of Rust, which is about the Outer Hebrides. Um, yeah, you can get that from my website or my publisher, but uh, I'm at alexboyd.co.uk or alexboydphotography.com uh i'm also on twitter at alexboyd um so yeah that's the thing i've got all the kind of social media stuff there (laughs) yeah
0: thanks again guys so much
1: thank you thank you you're welcome much appreciated
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the St. Andrews Society of Los Angeles podcast. For more information on the St. Andrews Society of Los Angeles, visit www.standrewsla.org. And don't forget to like our Facebook page, Instagram, and YouTube channels as well. Have a great week and we'll see you next episode.